Thank you, choir, orchestra, Cheryl. The Las Vegas shooting and the New York City terror attack is a reminder to us of the uncertainty of life. That life is uncertain. James says, what is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. So James says, what is your life? And he speaks about the fragility of it. That we can be here today and gone tomorrow. Today we remember our members who have passed away during this past year. Our text is from Psalm chapter 90, which is the oldest psalm in the Bible written by Moses. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 90, beginning in verse number 1. Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or Thou didst give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Thou dost turn man back into dust, and dost say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. Thou hast swept them away like a flood, they fall asleep in the morning. They are like grass which sprouts anew in the morning. It flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath we have been dismayed. Thou hast placed our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy presence. For all our days have declined in thy fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of thine anger and thy fury according to the fear that is due thee? So teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. We look at this passage of scripture and perhaps we learn something about life and death, what is before us. And he begins by saying there is someone to know. In verse number two, he says, Before the mountains were born, or thou didst give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now, there are some things we know, there are some things we do not know. One of the things that we do not adequately understand is death. The Bible tells a story about Lazarus dying. Lazarus was a close friend of Jesus. His sisters were Mary and Martha. And when Lazarus became ill, the sisters sent word to Jesus that the one you love is ill. See if you can come to minister to his needs. But Jesus delayed his coming and Lazarus died. The question in the minds of the sisters is a question oftentimes in our mind at such times. And the question is why? Why, Lord, did you let that happen? 
The Bible says, Martha therefore said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And as I read that, I can hear in her voice, why, Jesus? You love Lazarus. So why didn't you come? You could have prevented this. You could have done something. So why did you not come? Why? Death had come, and the question was why? When Absalom was killed, his father David was devastated. And 2 Samuel says, And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. Truth is, we don't fully understand death. And the question for most of us when a loved one dies is why? Linda and I recently attended the funeral of Aldine Bassanio. I wish you had known her. Aldine was... She was absolutely full of life. She loved life. She was fun to be around. She always giggled. Everything was a party for Aldine. She loved life. The thing that was amazing to me about her, as much as she loved life, she was ready to die. She was looking forward to seeing heaven. She was looking forward to being with Jesus. And as I think of her and I thought of her there at the funeral, here is someone who epitomizes life, so filled with life, and yet looking forward to its end. She was ready to die, but we were not ready for her to die. There's some things we don't understand. And one of the things we don't fully understand is death, but we know something. He says there in verse number 2, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And that's the key to it. You see, we may not understand death, but we can accept it because we know him. Thou art God. And Jesus defeated death. When he went to the cross on Calvary, and was crucified, and then he rose from the grave, and that's what Easter is all about. He is not here, he is risen, he is alive, he has conquered death, and because he lives, the promise is that we also will live. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57 says, Oh death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. You see, we can accept some things we don't understand because thou art God. David wrote, weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. There's someone to know. Death comes but Jesus gives the victory because thou art God. There's something to know, someone to know, and then there's something to learn. In verse number 12, Moses wrote, So teach us to number our days. Death teaches us certain eternal truths. You know, when we are going through life and all of the mundane things that we face and so forth, by and large, we don't learn a great deal. But when we go through the experience of a loved one's death, then we probably are more open to learning some eternal truths. 
The first one is that death is certain. We know that it will come. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. And the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, some of you are awfully young. And some of you are older. But the thing we have in common is that we all are going to die. Why? Why? Well, I believe that that death is the result of sin. I, I know that I know that there are those who say that it is God's will, and, and I know what they mean, I think, by that. When someone dies, they say, well, it, it is God's will, or it was God's will that this person dies, or God needed this person, or whatever it is. It is my belief that God's will was that we live forever in the Garden of Eden. Now, that is my belief. I believe that God intended, when he created this world, and put man in the Garden of Eden, that it was his will that we live there forever, that we live in perfection, perfect in being, perfect in our relationship, perfect in environment. It is my belief that when God created this world and placed man in the Garden of Eden, his will, had his will been done, his will was that man live eternally there. But, when man disobeyed God, the consequence was that sin came into the world and with sin there was death. When there was disobedience, then death was the consequence. And so the scripture says in Genesis 2:17, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Now that was the warning that God gave back then. He said, if you eat of this fruit in that day, then death is going to come. In Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, Paul wrote, just as through one man sin entered into the world, that was Adam, and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sin. So then I, I believe that death is the consequence of sin. I do not believe that's what God intended when he created this world and placed man in the garden. That is the consequence of sin. Death is a mystery to us. We don't fully understand it. Therefore there are legal questions. When does death actually occur? Does it occur when the heart stops beating? Does it occur when the brain waves stop? When does it occur? Because we cannot precisely pinpoint the second of death, there are legal questions concerning death. There are also ethical questions. So let's say that someone is on life support. And we decide to pull the plug. Have I ended that person's life? Or am I allowing life to take its natural course? So when we're talking about death, there are legal questions because we cannot pinpoint exactly when it occurs. And there are ethical questions as well. The Bible says that death is the enemy of man. 1 Corinthians 15, 26, Paul wrote, The last enemy that will be abolished is death. And because it is our enemy, there is a certain fear that comes with it. Socrates 
described death as the king of terrors. David said, the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come upon me and horror overwhelms me. That's what David said about death. When we watched the video of the shooting in Las Vegas and saw the people who were running and panicking because they were fearful of losing their own lives. So we are fearful because it is the enemy. Death is a destroyer, shatters dreams. Some of you young people have dreams of being married, of going to college, of having children. The probability is that for some of you, those dreams will be shattered by death. You see, we're not exempt from death just because we're young. It shatters dreams. It alters plans. Some of you adults have plans of retirement. You're going to have some free time. You'll be able to play golf. You'll be able to travel. You'll be able to do those things that you want to do. But the probability is that for some, one or the other will die and those dreams will be altered. Death separates us from our loved ones. The Bible tells a story about the rich man who died and he was separated from his brothers who were left behind. Each person here has been separated from someone by death. I've been separated from my parents by death. Two of my siblings by death. I've read the names of those in our church who have gone to be with the Lord this year and they've been separated from them. Some of you, I sit and look at you on Sunday morning and some of you are separated from your husband, some from your wife, some from your children, some from your parents because death separates us. Death is certain. We know that we are going to die. That is one of the things that we know is a certainty. What we do not know is that if we will live life while we're here. For me, that probably is sadder than uh, the death of some people. I see some people and they go through life, but they never live life. I have mentioned before, I read a book years ago and the caption on one of the chapters said, fear this that you might die without ever having lived. And that resonated with me for some reason. And back then, I made the decision that when I come to the end of life, I'm going to have done everything I can to have lived life. When I come to the end of life, I want to be able to say, man, that was pretty neat. I enjoyed that. I'd like to do it again. Rather than, well, I'm glad that's over. You see, the, the sad thing to me is that so many people have been given life and they go through their lives, but when they come to the end of it, they have all these regrets because they never lived life. What is it that causes us to go through life and never live life? What is it that takes from us the abundant life that Jesus promised? Well, we know that sin does that. Sin keeps us from having an abundant life. 
Isn't it ironic that sin is presented as being fun and exciting and something that everyone desires and yet it does not fulfill that promise? We look at so many people who have those things we think will bring us life. Celebrities, the wealthy, they have money, they have fame, they have nice cars to drive, houses to live in, vacations that are unimaginable to us, all those things. And yet when we begin to read the story of their lives, we find oftentimes they are absolutely miserable. How can that be? How can that be? How can someone have everything this world offers? They have money, they have fame, they have pleasure, they have all these things, and yet they're miserable with life. Sin does that because sin never satisfies. It promises satisfaction, but it never satisfies. Something else that will take your life from you, and, and, I, and I mean that in living life to the fullest, and that is guilt. My guess is that there are some of you who cannot live life to its fullest because there is some sin in your past that you have never dealt with and the sins of yesterday take away today. See, that's the reason that it is so important that we, that we keep a, a short account of sins, that we take them to the Lord, that we deal with them. Because if we don't, they're always there. They're always there and the guilt is there. That's what David was dealing with in Psalm 51 when he went to the Lord confessing his sin. And as he confessed his sin, he said to the Lord, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Have you lost the joy of knowing the Lord? Have you lost the joy? Oh, my friend, the Lord wants to shower you with his blessings and with his joy. But sin takes it away, and if we don't deal with sin, then there's guilt. And we don't enjoy life and rejoice in life because of guilt. Something else is legalism. I, I struggle with that because I think that I can do something to make myself right with God. And I think that if I just pray another five minutes or... If I just read two more chapters or if I witness to one more person or if I do this, then God is going to be pleased with me and I have become acceptable to God. So we try to earn God's favor. Now I'm not saying that you ought not do those things, but you ought to do it as an expression of love rather than a, a means of gaining God's favor. So, so we, try to, we try to cross every T and dot every I and do all those things legalistically, but then we we're like the Apostle Paul who said, those things I wanted to do, I didn't do. Those things I didn't want to do, I ended up doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Guilt will take away your joy. Legalism will take away your joy. Fear will still steal the peace from you. So there's something to learn. All right, so what do we learn? We learn that death is certain. Death is certain. We are going to die. But life is uncertain. You will decide whether or not you are going to live life abundantly. That's what the Lord offers. You will decide whether or not you're going to live it abundantly. And then there's somewhere to go. Verse number 10. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. 
for due to strength 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow for soon it is gone, and we fly away. We fly away. Someplace they go. When Paul was facing death, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. The word departure is a military word. It is a word that means pulling up camp and moving to another place. So in the Bible, when it speaks about death, it is speaking about moving from one place to another. Not a cessation, but moving from one place to another. The best example of that I can think of is Hebrews 11 and 12. Hebrews 11 as you know, records the names of those people of faith. All those names that are listed there. They're not listed because of holy living. They're listed because of their faith. So all these people of faith listed in Hebrews 11. Chapter number 12, we see that they have moved from here to the grandstands of heaven. So chapter 12, verse number 1 of Hebrews begins, Therefore, and therefore is referring back to chapter 11. So it lists all these people who were people of faith, and then chapter 12, therefore, referring back to them, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. So what has happened to them is that they have moved from chapter 11, people of faith, into the grandstands of heaven, chapter 12. And that's what death is for a Christian. It is moving from one place to another. You see, there comes a time when our race in this life is run. The Bible says of Abraham, and Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man, and I like this, and satisfied with life. That's what I want. And satisfied with life. And he was gathered to his people. So his race was run. The Apostle Paul came to that time in his life when his race was run. So he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And that's what he had done. That was the race that he had run. In the future... There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul is saying at this point that my race is run. I've come to the end. I've fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I've finished my course. I have run my race. Stephen ran his race and then he was stoned to death. The Bible tells a story in Acts chapter 7, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Folks, there comes a time when we have run our race. Linda and I were with my sister before she died. Linda was, my sister Linda was probably the, the best Christian in our family. She loved the Lord, trusted the Lord, faith in the Lord. So we were with her sitting out by the pool and she was just as bald as a billiard, you know, as a result of uh, chemotherapy and so forth. And we're sitting out there. 
And I'm looking at how frail she is. She's thanking God for the birds. Lord, thank you for sending the birds and looking forward to heaven. There comes a time when we have run the race and we move to join those in heaven's grandstands. Those in the grandstands are examples to us. They are there, we refer to them. They are our examples as we live our life down here. Enoch is there, the Bible says. And the scripture says of Enoch, and Enoch walked with God. So I learned from Enoch, who is my example about walking with God, what it means to walk with God. Noah is there. You know the story of Noah, how the Lord came to him and said, Noah, I'm going to bring judgment and I want you to build an ark. And he built the ark. And Noah is there as an example of faith, someone who trusted the Lord and did as God had told him to do. And I, I want to be that kind of person, someone of faith, someone who trusts the Lord. It didn't make any sense build an ark. It hadn't even rained at that time. And the Lord tells him, build an ark. What's an ark? But he did it. He warned the people for 120 years that judgment was coming. I'm, I'm sure he must have grown weary. I know that I would, but he was obedient. He was a man of faith. So he's an example there as a man of faith. Joseph is there. Joseph is our example of someone who chose the things of God over the things of the world. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven twenty six, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. You know, Joseph could have been the prince of Egypt. He was raised in the palace of Pharaoh by the daughter of Pharaoh. He could have been the prince of Egypt, and yet he laid it aside because he believed that the treasures of God were greater. So when I, I look to those in the grandstands, there's Joseph who reminds me that the things of God are more blessed than the things of this world. I have loved ones in those grandstands, don't you? Do you have loved ones in the grandstands in heaven serving as an example for you? My mother's there. My mother believed in me. She's an example to me that I believe in my family. My dad is there. My dad was a generous man. Anytime there was a need in the church, so I'm told by those people who went to church with him, he was always there to pledge, to give. He just believed. He is my example of generosity, that what you have belongs to God. Those in the grandstands of heaven are our examples. We look to them to learn how we are to live our lives. And they are there as encouragers. When we're tired, ready to quit, they're up there cheering you on. When you're weak and you've lost, lost confidence, they are up there cheering you on. When you fail and believe God can no longer use you, they are there to cheer you on. And because they are there, they give us hope of heaven. And the Bible tells us that heaven is a better place. We say that rather glibly, they've gone to a better place. Well, I can assure you they have. 
R.G. Lee said, it is the most beautiful place the mind of God could conceive and the hand of God could create. The Bible tells us that it is a place of sinlessness. John said, and there shall be no more curse. We long for perfection. We're going to have it there. It is a place of reunion. We will be reunited with our loved ones who know the Lord there. So, there's someone to know. Death reminds us that thou art God. There's someone to know. There's something to learn. Death is certain. We have to choose life. We're going to die. You will have to decide if you're going to live abundantly. And there's somewhere to go. Heaven awaits those who know Jesus Christ. So do you know Jesus? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Our Father in God, as we come to a time of invitation, I pray that you will speak to our hearts, teach us the things we need to learn, and bring conviction of things we need to do. Father, I pray for those who are going to face you one day and yet they do not know you. I pray today they would trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. We extend an invitation. If you don't know the Lord, would you commit your life to him today? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.